And I know I'm getting to know uh, a lot of you, but if we haven't met, my name is Rob Campbell, and uh, just to love the opportunity to be worshiping here and, and being part of this church family, and want you to know that we've got some exciting things coming up uh, in just a week. Students, come on, come on. So we got to be praying for those students mm-hmm. and those leaders, uh-huh. Uh huh. Everybody and all the things that go into that. That's just going to be a super, super powerful time. We are in a series right now called From Dust to Glory. It's a survey of the Old Testament. And so it's coming us by way of our friends over at the Five Point Church, Pastor Dean Herman. And uh, he is all fired up today to talk to us about the book of Daniel. So uh, let's turn our attention and give Pastor Dean our attention. As with every other book, ask four major questions so we know about the book. All right, number one, who was Daniel written by? Now, I know in the Old Testament that seems to be the case all the time. But when we get to 1 Timothy, okay, Timothy didn't write it. When you get to the other books, there are different authors. But for now, yes, Daniel did write it. Number two, who was it written to? It was written to the exiled people of Jerusalem, okay? They've been exiled over into Jerusalem and Daniel's writing this book recording for them but also for us what's the date well remember I told you he was taken in the first exile and that was in 605 so from 605 into 535 and 535 is you'll see next week is when the Medes and Persians come in and Daniel lives all the way through the through the Babylonians into the Medes and the Persians then number four what's the purpose he's sharing the future now listen listen this is good He's sharing the future to God's people. Now, when it says sharing the future to God's people, yes, it was to God's people then, but come on, church, it's also God's people today. So the book of Daniel was literally written to to us. Daniel has 12 chapters. My goal was to cover the first six this morning. We got through the first four in the first service, and I'm just going to kind of stop right where I did. So today, we're going to make it through Daniel 1 through 4. Next week, we'll pick right up on chapter 5 and keep right on pushing through. Daniel is a pivotal book, and that's why I'm going to literally walk you through chapter to chapter, okay, and just give you an understanding. And my hope is that this week, you'll go home, and you'll read these books after you kind of understand them better, and it... It just opens up your eyes to what's really going on. So let's jump right into it. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 is just, I call it the introduction of the book. So let's jump right into Daniel. Daniel, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's roll. Let's let God's word do its thing. But if you're in 1 Peter, you cannot read Daniel 1. Here we go. Daniel 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Remember, this is 605 B.C. King of Judah. This is the king back in Jerusalem, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. Now, before Christmas, in great detail, as we finished the book of Jeremiah, we talked about this. But it's also described in 2 Kings 24. And it says the same thing. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim, as we just read, became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans. So that was when King Nebuchadnezzar came in, he said, look, this is what you're going to do. You can stay king, but you're going to do as I tell you. Jehoiakim did what he said for a little while, but then he turned and began to try to do his own thing again. Daniel 1, <clears throat> verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. All right, when it says some of the vessels, do you understand what this means? 
Okay, you have Solomon's temple. What's in Solomon's temple? Silver, gold, all the stuff. So King Nebuchadnezzar comes and says, oh, I like some of this. And do you remember when Hezekiah was sick? The Babylonians came, acted like they were coming to see him, but they scoped it out. Say yes to make me feel good because we went over that. How many of you remember when Hezekiah was sick and the Babylonians came? Say yes. yes. That makes me feel better about myself like you actually remember, okay? But then he scoped out. So now they're coming back and they took the stuff that they saw. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim Kim Jew into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of God in his temple, his pagan temple. Then the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So what's that mean? As the king took people, he took the best that he could get. And he brought them in and he picked four young men and he said, look, I want you to eat my food. I want you to listen to our teaching. And I want, in three years, I want to use you. Well, the four most famous exiles that he took would be these four men right here. Okay, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't like their names. So if you're taken to a foreign country and the king says, I'm going to change your name, do you know what you say? Yes, sir. And so he did. So from this point on, when we read Daniel, I want you to understand it's not going to say these names near as much as it's going to say Daniel's nail, Belshazzar, Hananiah is Shadrach, Mishael is Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Azariah is Abednego. So these names are now gone. And these four names is what we're going to read through the book of Daniel. Everybody with me? Say yes. Okay, we understand these four names are gone and these four names are what we're going to use from here on out, right? Daniel 1, verse 8. So the king says, I want you to eat my food. I want you to drink my drink. I'm going to teach you our culture. I'm going to teach you and then I'm going to use you. In three years, I'm going to come up and see who... Daniel 8. But Daniel resolved, listen, listen, that he would not defile himself with the king's food. This is where the pieces of the Bible come together. You go back to Leviticus, God told his people, these are some of the foods you can eat. These are some of the foods you cannot drink. Here's some of the things you can drink, some of the things you can't. So Daniel isn't just being rude and arrogant and putting some post on Facebook. What's he doing? He says, man, let me, let me, can I talk to you? Instead of us eating that food, let us try this. Because they didn't know what Daniel lived by. So, well, let me ask you a question. You're taken into another country. Are you going to stand up for what God wants or are you just going to be mad at God? You see, one of the biggest problems that I see that we have in the American church, myself included, is we pray when we need something a lot of times. But when we pray, are we praying for God's will to be done or are we praying for our will to be done? You see, Daniel's will probably would have been, take me back home. I'm 15 years old. I miss my family. I miss the temple. I miss my city. Take me home. You see, but God's will was to take somebody who was madly in love with him, place them in a pagan nation so they could see the love of God where they are. Back to the original question. He's like, yeah, I'd do that. You're in prison because you did nothing wrong. You're going to stand up for God or you're going to be mad at God. 
You're in a place of work where you really don't like it because everybody is mad at you because of your stance for Christ. Are you going to stand up for Christ or cower down like everybody else? Do you ever think, do you ever think God may have you where you are in order to use you to glorify him and not just make your, ha- your life happy? Amen. There's a reason God put Daniel right where he was. It's his plan. It's his will. And look what Daniel does. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I don't want to do that. And you know what I've come to find out? When you stand up for God, God notices. But when you fit in and you look just like everybody else, you look just like everybody else. Verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor. Why do you think God gave Daniel favor? Could it be because he stood up for God when nobody else would? I wonder if the reason so many of us in this room today aren't being used at the fullest potential for the king the way he'd like to do is because we don't stand up for him when nobody else will either. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the eunuchs. They bring him back out. Like, man, they do look better. They do look healthier. That's where we get the 21-day Daniel fast, right here. So we, we have an introduction. We see the names change. It takes us to chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's read verses 1 and 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, now the first year was 605. Now Daniel's writing this. This is 604 B.C. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. The king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Now, the king throws a curve at him here. Most of the time, the king or whoever would tell them, this is the dream that I had, and then they would tell them their interpretation of the dream. The king threw him a curve and said, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me the dream itself. I'm going to see if this stuff that you claim you got, this magic is real or not. Either you tell me the dream or you're dead. So what did all the magicians and enchanters and astrologers do? Nothing we can do. Ain't nobody can do this. Nobody can do this. So everybody, he said, kill them. Kill them all. Daniel's one of them. And then Daniel says, ho, 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 ho. Let me get a shot at this. Go to verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Come on, church. Now, please hear your pastor's heart. I'm going to teach Daniel in a way you've probably never heard taught before. I believe the reason that God wouldn't give the majority of us in this room that dream, because he knows we'd never stand up and speak it. Why would I want to give you a word that I need you to speak when you're living in fear and you'll never speak it anyway? Come on, church, am I, am, I, am I looking at this in the wrong angle or am I, am I onto something here? Why would God want to put something in you that he knows that you're never going to confess? He's already seen Daniel. Daniel said, no, sir, I'm at it. Could we really not do that? That would defile 
what I've been brought up to believe from the book of Leviticus. I, I, I really would rather try it another way, not being rude, doing it with gentleness and respect. And God honored him in a great way. And then when God honored him, now God's willing to give him what nobody else in the land can have because he knows Daniel will stand up and use it. Daniel 2. Let's go to verse 31. So he goes to the king and he says, Oh, king, oh, I, I, I know what your dream is. And, and, the, and the king's like, yeah, right, right, lay it on me. You saw, verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. Do you think Daniel just secretly kind of got this? Or do you think he had a supernatural revelation straight from the hand of God? And he's describing exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar saw. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces. It became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. And so Daniel has seen exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And this is a, a pretty good picture of what he saw. And he goes on in the chapter to tell him exactly what the dream meant. And here's what the dream meant. The head of gold, that's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the power, look at the riches, just so we understand each other. Why was King Nebuchadnezzar so powerful, so rich, and able to take over all of these kingdoms? Do you remember back before when we were talking about the prophets who were speaking into Jerusalem and speaking into Samaria? They're speaking into the northern southern kingdom. God said, and I will bring a king and he will come in and he will have more power and he will have and he will have. Who do you think anointed and ordained Nebuchadnezzar to have the power in the kingdom that he has? Straight from the hand of God. So pastor, you're telling me that God would use pagan people to fulfill his will? Yeah. Yeah. So now this king has all this power and he thinks he did it all himself. When in reality, who did all this for him? God did. So he said, you are the head. You are the all-powerful, all rich. You are King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, but you need to know, king, that there silver, that's the Medes and the Persians. They're going to come in 539 to 331. We'll be talking about that in great detail in the weeks to come. And then that middle, that's the bronze. Okay, that's Greeks. That's Alexander the Great. And oh, he's going to come with such speed like you've never seen before. Iron, strong. That's the Roman rule. And that's going to be in 63 BC all the way to 476 AD. Ah, but you need to know, my friend, there's going to be a divided kingdom, and that's going to break up, but there's going to be another kingdom. And that kingdom will never fall, and that kingdom will never, ever crumble. Let's read about that crumble and that, and that, about that, about that kingdom in Daniel 2. Verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, come on church, that shall never be destroyed. I remember this guy by the name of Jesus in Matthew 16, looking at Peter and the disciples, and he said, and this kingdom shall prevail. Church, this is talking about the kingdom of God, and you can say what you want to, but the kingdom of God will win. And the church will be the only thing standing when everything else falls. Read it. 
Set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall, come on church, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in places the iron, pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation for sure. So if you're the king and he has literally mapped out history for you, you got to be thinking, man, there's something, this guy's got something ain't nobody else got. People should be saying the same thing about me and you. And they got something other people ain't got. It's called the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. Well, did you realize, I don't know if you knew this or not, but for, for years, for decades, for centuries, theologians have said the book of Daniel could not be true. There's no way that somebody could write down history and it fall exactly as this dream said. It's not possible. It is when you serve a God who's at the beginning and he's waiting at the finish line for you at the end. And he knows everything that took place in the middle. Yeah, that is possible. But here's the thing. I've stood here 10 times. This is called the Caves of Qumran. And what happened here, there's 11 different caves throughout here. There's a great big fence right here and it's because of this valley so you don't fall off of it. And when you stand here, the Dead Sea's right behind you. You know what they found here? Come on, who knows? Dead Sea Scrolls. What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? It's the Old Testament. The Dead, the Dead Sea Scrolls are ancient manuscripts, the Bible, that were discovered between 1947 and 1956, thousands of years after Daniel, in 11 caves near Kybert Qumran on the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. So they found the entire Old Testament, except some portions of a couple of books in the book of Esther, written exactly as it was in the book of Daniel word for word written thousands of years ago why did God wait till 1947 for them to begin to find these because it was his will to prove today that the word of God still stands just like it did back then and I am in the beginning and I am in the end and I stood in the middle and gave it all to Daniel here's the problem in the American church we say that we have a beginning the day that we got saved and we say that we want God to be standing at the finish line to say job well done but during the middle of this thing called life we try to live it exactly as we please and not as he pleases then you wonder why chaos breaks out in your life I've had so many people say to me pastor what is going on what is happening it's a very simple answer God's will God's will let me ask you a question how do you pray God please do this God please do this I don't pray that anymore God may your will be done God may your will be done whatever it is and God please prepare me to lead our people for whatever your will very well may be we all have an opinion of what's going on and where it's going but I don't really care about your opinion quite as much as I do his so Daniel tells the king, this is exactly what all this means. Listen, God put that word in him because he knew that Daniel would speak it. God, please give me the words you want me to say. If God gave you those words, are you going to speak them? Or are you going to stay in your bedroom and hide them? Daniel 2 verse 47. Let's finish. The king answered and said to Daniel, 
truly your God is God of gods Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery okay so chapter 2 ends with the king Nebuchadnezzar going man your God is the man you got this Woo-hoo! and then chapter 3 he builds a golden statue for people to have to worship have you ever seen people say they got saved oh Jesus you the man and a week later they're right back to where they were same thing happening today that was happening then go to Daniel 3 verse 1 King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon now just to make it short so you understand we don't have to read all this after this huge statue was built there was a decree made that when you hear the horn or you hear the other musical instruments that everybody had to bow down and worship this golden image wait a minute minute, hold on hold on so the government was saying who to worship and how to worship okay let's talk church let's just talk I am completely making this up so don't take it any other way but let's say next Sunday that we've heard that the government said that if you go to a Jesus believing church in the United States of America you will be arrested you coming how many of you would come okay 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 (laughs) okay so the government's gonna say come to church or if not you're gonna go to jail and you're gonna come but you don't serve really okay so the government's gonna say you're gonna put your butt in jail if you worship Jesus but you don't tithe who are you fooling okay so the government's gonna put you in jail if you come you're gonna come but you QT and God says fill up their gas tank and you refuse to do it God has, tells you at work go tell that person who I am what I've done in your life the hope they have and you refuse to do it but you'll go to jail come on man who are you fooling it ain't God I hear marriage counseling husband say I'd die for my wife really but you won't vacuum or wash clothes but you would die that man ain't fooling his wife no more than any of you are fooling God there's a reason you've never led someone to Jesus because God has asked you to and you're living a life of fear we hold the hope of this country and we say nothing about it hey but we'd go to jail okay man I'm just making stuff up let me just push a little bit further either you say Jesus Christ is who he said he is or you denounce him right now or I will put a bullet through your head what you gonna do but again you don't serve you don't read your Bible you don't talk about him you don't tithe you may tip a little bit you don't tithe let me ask you a question I know I'm just pushing guys the call of my life is not to be your friend it's to push you I'm trying to push you you know how I feel about my four grandsons do you think that I would die for my grandsons like that you know how I feel about my hot smoking wife do you think if someone was attacking my wife I would stand up and go after them for attacking my wife why because I am radically in love with them and until you become radically in love with Jesus 
you will not do the things that we are discussing right now. You could say you'd raise your hand and do it, just like I'd say in January 1st, I'm going to start a diet. <laughs> and I gained five pounds last year. <laughs> Saying something and living something is two different things. Someone give me an amen one time. one time. You may say you'll do it, but when the rubber meets the road, you're not even doing it now. My, I'm not fussing at your church. My heart is broken for the American church because we believe that God did, God was in the beginning and we do believe that he is in the end, but we also believe that it is our decision to live however we please in the middle and that goes against everything in the Bible. Amen. I've said this a hundred times through the years. I will never ask you to do something that I won't do. That's why I still lead a life group. That's why I give so much. That's why I talk about Jesus. That's why I hand out invite cards. That's why I got a five on my truck. I'll never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. Do you know I've never shared this? you know where that came from? I was in the Garden of Gethsemane by myself. And I could hear Jesus saying, Dad, I don't want to do this. Dad, there's got to be another way. Dad, if there's another way, could we please do it? But Dad, if there's not... May your will be done. Jesus was saying, I will never do anything. I'll never ask you to do anything that I won't do. I died for you, so now all I'm asking is that you live for me. Father God, my heart's broken for our country, our churches. But most of all, the people who claim to love Jesus. God, it's one thing to say something, but it's another to live it. So my prayer is that in this room, this group of people, that we'd be so radically in love with you, that we would serve you like no other. We'd give to you like no other. We'd talk about you like no other. God, that we would be the men and women of God that you desire us to be. God, that we'd be the hope that this city needs to see. Every eye's closed, every head's bowed. Guys, this wasn't planned. It's just we, we, every eye's closed, every head's bowed. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands. This is a moment between you and God. Guys, we don't have a boldness or a courage problem. We got a love problem. Because you have the boldness and the courage to stand up for your kids, your wife, your football team. But you melt when it comes to standing up for Jesus. So I'm asking you just to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you exactly where you are when it comes to the stance that you would take. If the chips were down, God, speak to our hearts. We say Sunday after Sunday, allow me to hear this word so I can receive this word, so I can live this word. May we be the men and women of God you want us to be to do the things that I know you want us to do. And everybody said? That is where First Peter comes alive in our lives. Are you going to be the men and women of God that God's called us to be and change this city? 
Are you going to go live life just like everybody else where nobody ever notices a difference in you, so why would God want to give you a word to give to others? Back to our story. Put the last verse I read back up, please. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. All right. Uh, verse 1. So King Nebuchadnezzar finds out that Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego they, they, they ain't bowing down. They ain't doing it. So he brings them before them, before him and says, if you will bow down when the horn blows, no problem, no problem. The government telling the people who to worship and how to worship. And Daniel, I mean, not Daniel, Daniel wasn't in the fire. Okay, this is just Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they said, we ain't doing it. Pick up that story, Daniel 3, verse 15. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shad, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Really, not Daniel. A lot of people say Daniel's, Daniel's on the fire. That's the lion's den. Talk about that next week. Answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Listen, you better be prepared to give a response. It's exactly what 1 Peter 3 said. The king is saying... I'm going to throw your butt in that fire if you don't bow down and worship. They were prepared with a response. Church, here's the truth. You will live with what you believe. What you believe will dictate the way you live your life. They believed that God the Father would either take them home or he would be right there with them and it demonstrated it through the way that they lived their life. We say one thing here on Sunday, but we go live another way out there. This should be nothing but a pep rally to go out there and change the world for him. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Hey, God wants to deliver us, he will. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You want to stick us in the fire and burn us? Great. We got streets of gold and laid at the feet of God the Father himself. We're good with that. We don't care. Death does not scare us. Amen. Did you hear that, church? Death shouldn't scare us. Throw them in. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, oh, true, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. Clothes not singed, hair not singed, no fire, not sweat. They're just walking around and someone's there with them. But I see four unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Do you know who I believe is walking with him right there in the middle of the fire? It's called a Christophany. It's Jesus Christ himself. Some people say, I'm not going to argue about who it is. It's an angel. It's, it's, I don't, let me tell you, the point I believe he's making to us is that when you're in the heat of the fire, Jesus Christ has got you by the hand and he's right there with you. You don't have to live a life of fear. He's got you. He's right there. And if it is his will, come on church, if it's his will to take you to glory with him, praise God, get me out of this chaotic world. But if it's not, and it's for me to stand here without even feeling the heat, praise his name for it. 
I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to do it. Amen. Look at verse 29. Therefore, he pulls them out. He's so impressed. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. You know what's amazing? It's the same thing he was saying in chapter 2. How come when God works in your life and you make a commitment, you don't stick to it, but you've got to see God do something else again? He did what he needed to on the cross. That should be reason enough for us to do everything that he asked us to do. Come on, church, are you with me? You don't have to see miracle after miracle. That's what Jesus said when they said, show us a sign. So I've been showing them to you for three years. You still don't believe. Be torn from limb to limb, their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king... <laughs> then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So what are you saying, Pastor? When you stand up for God, it's amazing how people will take notice and God will use you in great ways. Amen. But when you stand back and hide and wonder why God's never using you, there's the reason right there. Chapter 1, we had the introduction. Chapter 2, we saw this great statue Chapter 3, we saw, we, we, and, then, and then Daniel interpreted it. Chapter 3, there's a statue of gold, and he said, you have to bow down and worship it. And they said, we won't do it. And, and we see how God promoted them because they wouldn't do it. In chapter 4, and this is where we'll finish. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. So now he brings in his enchanters, his astrologers, his magicians, and, and said, look, this is, this is what I've seen. And, and what he saw was a great tree, a tree that reached to the heavens. It was so big that, that everyone from the world could see it and, and the birds of the air ate from it and its leaves were abundant and beautiful and it said that and it fed the world and, and that the beast took shade from it. It was just incredible, this tree. He told all his magicians, enchanters, astrologers and they're like, oh, we don't know. He said, bring Daniel here. Wouldn't it be incredible if it came to a point in this city they said, just bring God's people here. Bring those people from Five Point here because they have such a relationship with God. They know things that nobody else does. Because God gave it to him, and the reason he gave it to him is because he knows that they're going to go out and take it to the world. Amen. So Daniel steps up. Do you think God has Daniel in a pagan nation on purpose? Because it was whose will? Daniel's will or his will? Chapter 4, verse 13 says, and we'll get down to chapter 4 and finish. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree of the, and the lop of its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass in the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most, listen, listen, that the, so that they will know that the most holy rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowest of men. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, it's God's will for him to chop down your kingdom for you to be cast outside to live with the animals and have the dew of the dew on you because that's where you sleep and for you to lose your mind. Daniel 4, verse 28. A great word for every one of us in this room. 
All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? Who built Babylon? God did. Who gave King Nebuchadnezzar so much power, wealth, and fame? God did. Why did God do that? Because it was his, his will. Why was it his will? Because God wanted to use them to discipline his children. Come on, church. Do you see the way when you understand the Bible, all the pieces begin to come together? We read this books and books ago from the prophets. And now we're seeing it all come together. And look, look what happened to him. While the words, look at all I've done. Look how great I am, King Nebuchadnezzar said. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Guess what happened? Lost his mind. He goes back out. He lives outside. Hair grows long. Dew falls on him. But then the chapter ends. When the king's time comes to an end, God puts him back where he wanted him to be. Pastor, what do we get out of chapter 4? You know the reason I believe so many of us have never been disciplined by God? Because you're not really a child of God. I don't discipline other people's children. I just discipline mine. And God just disciplines his. Or you are a child of God, but yet you're not doing anything to upset Satan enough to make him come after you. Guys, I just want you to be everything God wants you to be in order to be used to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of you, to build the kingdom of God to exactly what he wants it to be. How many of you ever heard that statement, the handwriting on the wall? That's chapter five. Chapter five literally is where that statement came from and that is exactly where we'll pick up next week. King Jesus, I thank you for the word. I thank you that it is as relevant today as when it was written thousands of years ago. And my prayer is simply this, that we will hear this word, God, that we'll receive your word and we will go out and we will live your word so that we can change the world for you. And everybody said?